Blog Talk Radio. This oh, is all about, is all about wine. wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, oh, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make the wine less confusing and more friendly. more friendly. From coast to coast and around, and the, around world. the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. I love your that. questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash all about Again. Pretty nice out there, so they're thrilled that they can drink their wine, and not have to worry about the rains. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Very cool. Welcome to the show. It's uh, seven oh one p.m. Eastern time, and this is live on Thursday, September the fifteenth. And uh, if you're any other date or time, then it's probably on a replay, which is fine. It's totally cool. Uh, a know, lot of people do. We know you're out there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So a lot of people questions. do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are. We're on cool. lots of different platforms, even some we don't know. So that's always cool, too. That's right. That's the price. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And right. around the world, uh, too. I mean, we've, we've, we're have we being picked up by, you know, some sort of broadcast or something around the world. And we've mm-hmm. noticed, you know, in some of our reviews and some of our uh, – show counts and stuff we've noticed some some unusual places that we are mm-hmm. listened to yeah so yeah. great thanks yeah. everyone yeah hope hope you learned something from the show that's you know a big part of it uh yeah th- today is uh the beginning of let's see where are we that latinx heritage month begins today which seems odd that they would start a Latino, uh, Latinx Heritage Month in the middle of a month. But calendars I have, it starts today, which... What is it called? Latinx. Latinx? Latinx. L-A-T-I-N-X. Oh. Latinx Heritage Month. Or Latino <laughs> Heritage Month. Latinx. Latinx. <laughs> I never heard that. I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I, I heard Kleenex was going, Kleenex Heritage? Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's, Sorry, I, I, I didn't know. I, uh-huh, I, I listened months. carefully. And, uh, Latinex. <laughs> okay. Latinex. Okay. Latinex. Wow. I don't know why I, I didn't know that was that. But today is the beginning of Latinex, not Kleenex, Latinex Heritage Month. So that that starts today. And so that, again, that just seems odd that it starts in the middle of the month. I, I don't know why. Hmm. So what we have coming up this next week is Grenache Day, uh, third Friday in September. I think is the official date for Grenache Day. Um, 
or Grenache, but it's Grenache today in some areas. Third Friday in September, so that's tomorrow. And so we, we've got that. And let's see, what else is uh, National Guacamole Day is tomorrow. And uh, here's one you all need. A wife Appreciation Day is Sunday. And then the Chinese observe on Monday Respect for the Aged Day, which I think should be celebrated throughout the world. But that comes in on Monday uh, in Japan. And Tuesday, National String Cheese Day. Next Wednesday, National New York Day, a big apple. Uh, so, uh, what it's worth. And then we all know that next Thursday is the first day of autumn, first day of fall, the fall equinox. So, that's coming up places. a week. In most places, yeah. yeah. Except Florida. Except, except Florida. Then we just stay hot and sticky again for another three months. So, uh that's what's coming up over the next week of any interest, I think, of interest. So there we go. Uh, just different reasons to celebrate with a glass of wine. And that's why I like to give you those lists. Just It gives you another reason to celebrate with wine. I want to share something with you that I found out. It was on the news this evening. And I went, oh, my gosh. Derek Jeters, a New York Yankee baseball player, retired down here to Florida. And he was a girlfriend with uh, Jennifer Lawrence. No, Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer Lopez for a while. And Jennifer Lopez now married whoever he was. Uh, I don't know. I don't follow the celebrities. But Derek Jeter built this mansion down on Davis Island in and Davis Island is somewhat of an exclusive area. You go through Tampa and you go over the bridge and Davis Island is pretty exclusive. And Davis Island on hurricanes basically floods. I mean it's just it's, it's a low island. And there are some smaller homes there, but he built this mansion. I mean the thing was enormous. It had all these rooms. It had a tennis court, a great big swimming pool, uh a dock. It was right on the uh the bay, so jump into his big boat and go underneath the Sunshine Skyway Bridge out into the Gulf of Mexico and wherever you want to go from there. Enormous place. When Derek Jeter didn't go to the house anymore and wasn't using it, Tom Brady became the quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, needed a place to stay, so Derek Jeter let him stay in his place. This uh, big mansion, I don't know if they had a rental agreement or how it worked. I could care absolutely less could not care less about the whole thing so but just you know tom and giselle stayed at the house for a while then they moved out they've got their own place but the place just sold for 22.5 million dollars and the people who bought it want it for the property so they're going to bulldoze the mansion Oh, my gosh, I can't believe that. So uh, $22.5 million for it, and they're going to bulldoze it. And it's going to cost them more. I mean, that's what they pay for it right now. This is not counting what it's going to cost to 
bulldoze a place and have it all hauled away and clean it up and all that. I don't know what they're going to put there. But that just struck me as, oh, my guy's talking about too much money to spend that I'm, I'm sure they, well, good luck to him. <laughs> it's just strange. So, all right, I will uh, uh, quit editorializing on that stuff. Got some stuff to tell you about tonight. Got some stuff to talk about, as always, associated with wine. Two-Buck Chuck. We've all heard of Two-Buck Chuck. The person who made Two-Buck Chuck was Fred Franzia. And you've heard of Franzia, too, the box wine that you find all over the place. And also, Franzia is, Fred Franzia was the founder and owner of Bronco Wine Company, which is one of the biggest wine companies in the world. It makes over 50 brands. And they are all over the place, not just Napa, but everywhere. You know, I mean, Fred was a visionary, if you will. He started the two-buck chuck and all sorts of stuff. Well, Fred passed away yesterday, or day before yesterday, Tuesday. Died peacefully in his sleep. He was surrounded by family and friends. Uh, Tuesday uh, in his home. 79 years old, so not real old. He used to always say, no wine should cost more than $10. And the wine industry is going, what the heck are you talking about? And that's why he came out with Two Buck Chuck. He used to enjoy giving dinners with uh, fancy meals and everything and pour Two Buck Chuck as the wine. People are always saying, when's the real wine coming out? And he said, this is the real wine. You need to enjoy this because that's what you're getting tonight. And so, you know, it's, that was his that was his trademark. Although he was looking at coming out with a very high-end Cabernet Sauvignon. I don't know what's going to happen with that. But it is it was something that he was looking at doing. Um, Fred... Francis' uncle, by marriage, was Ernest, Ernest Gallo. And uh, his parents founded and owned Francia Brothers Winery. And then they sold the company in 1973, which really ticked him off because he lost control of the family name. But he still had some popular low-end wines, and uh, he made um, the wine that was being made by the wine group and which was his competition on the shelf for many years. Then he founded the Bronco wine company in 1973 with two other family members. And it is Bronco wine company is now the seventh largest wine company in the United States, making about 9 million cases a year of wine. Uh, he, Never caught the wine group, which bought the Frangia. Uh, they're in second place. But uh, Fred was quite the visionary. He uh, had a, a good idea of how the industry worked and how Napa worked and all that. So it's uh, it's a loss. He, he really is a loss that uh, uh, Fred Frangia passed away. He 
had a lot of good ideas, um, things, you know, simple truth. Frangia was a master of the supply chain and of making wines. Two Buck Chuck uses the cheapest glass, the cheapest paper, and the cheapest ink to put it together. And uh, he owns many of the vineyards. Sometimes Two Buck Chuck is a single vineyard wine and only sold in one store, as we all know, Trader Joe's. So he spends no money on sales and marketing. And even now, the costs have driven Charles Shaw to $3, two buck chuck to $3. Uh, you, it's still the best $3 wine you can buy. I mean, without question. Uh, and Fred Francia took pride in it as much as he took pride in some of the more expensive wines that he had under his umbrella. So he... Uh, is a legend who will continue to be around. The name will be around for many years in the Francia boxes and all that stuff. But uh, Fred Fred Francia has passed away last Tuesday at the age of 79. Uh, the godfather of bargain wines is uh, what he is being known as. So... Actually, we'll miss him because he really had some great ideas. Okay, let's see here. Uh, is this what I want? No, this isn't what I want. No. Bontura Organic Vintage. Okay, I don't want that. What we want is this. There we go. It says, uh, Napa Wine Country is no longer for you regular people. Uh, oh, my engineer just brought me in a glass of wine, or a bottle, actually, the whole bottle of glass. It's a Chateau Saint-Michel Indian Wells Cabernet Sauvignon from Columbia Valley. It's a Washington State wine. Uh, it says on the bottle, let me read this, it says, the Contemporary Winemaking Series, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Columbia Crest, Washington State's founding winery, They're established 1967. It says about the wine on the back, since 1967, the dedicated winemakers at Chateau Saint-Michel have crafted some of the most spectacular wines in the world, notably through the meticulous approach to Indian wells. Especially selected and carefully aged, this premier Cabernet Sauvignon showcases a lush texture and concentrated flavors of blackberry and black cherry. And it says, scan the code to discover more about our vineyards and how we make our wines or visit us at st-michelle.com. Oh, doesn't say any more about this one. Uh, oh, they got something new on this I've never seen before. It's a little small box here, and it says, Average analysis per 5 ounce. Calories, 127. Carbs, 4.1 gram. Protein, 0, 0.0 gram. And fat, 0, 0.0 gram. Less than 1 gram sugar per 5 ounce glass. Gluten-free. Hmm. That's something new for a bottle. This is a 2018. I think we just picked this up not too long ago. Uh, 
I remember correctly. I don't think we've had this for a long time. Okay, let me give you an analysis of it here. Oh, that's got a nice aroma to it. I'm impressed already. It's got some plummy, plummy cherry aroma to it. Very dark. I mean, it's it's a really a quite dark Cabernet. I like dark Cabernets. They just they cut the skin on it and gave it good color instead of pulling it off and playing around with it. Legs, for those of you who are into legs, some nice legs, thick, slow-moving legs on the glass. And, oh, very nice aroma. Getting little hints of, of dark chocolate in there, too, which is always nice in a cab. Oh, very good. Yeah, this is nice. This is very nice. Uh, it's got, uh, it carries that plumminess into the taste. A little uh, dark cherries uh, into the taste. I've lost the chalkiness from the nose and the taste. It didn't continue, but that plum stayed with it. Uh, not a lot of oak in this. I don't detect a lot of oak at all on this. It has some uh, a nice finish. It's lingering in in the mouth, and it's uh, well. There's the oak. You know, that's funny. I'm picking up the oak at the end here in the in the finish, uh, the aftertaste. The oak is coming out on the tongue and in the mouth. I wasn't getting it in the initial taste, but the oak is definitely there in the aftertaste, which is a nice nice presentation at the end there uh the fruitiness in the initial taste is really nice and then the oak comes in afterwards it doesn't overpower it in the initial taste i'm impressed with this wine i really really am impressed we'll have to make a note of getting some more of this indian indian wells st michelle uh chateau st michelle indian wells cabernet sauvignon Columbia Valley. This is a 2018. I don't know if uh, we just picked this up, so it must be what they're coming in. That seems awful old to be just now coming out with it. Hmm. Oh, very good, though. Uh, I do recommend it if you get a chance. If you see a Chateau St. Michel Indian Wells cab out there, then uh, I think you would be well worth your time and money to buy one and try one. It's got some nice flavors to it. I will be pausing every once in a while during the show and taking another <laughs> sip. This is really good. So, <laughs> oh, oh, oh! What was that? Uh, real, real quick, uh, just want to give a shout out to Cap, who says hello on Facebook on the Facebook page. Oh, and. Uh, oh. Thank you, Cap. Cap's going to be our uh, guest next week. I I will give you yeah. a, a preview. Yeah. Cap was on, uh, what was it, two years ago originally, and an enjoyable guest. Uh, yeah. I think it has been, yeah. Uh, 
Uh, Cap was wow. on a couple years ago. It was an enjoyable guest. Then the end of July, yeah, the end of July, we had our cigar show, and we had uh, cigar people on, Cap being one of them, Craig, and uh, uh, was Phil, I think, Craig, Phil, Mike, and uh, yeah. Cap. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on, and uh, they talked about cigars and filled us in on the protocols and everything of cigars. An interesting show, and we're getting some a lot of listeners on that, so it's been good. Cap has just recently written and published a book about cigars, and he's going to be our guest next week. Yes, very good. Yeah, he's going to be our guest next week to tell us all about it. So. Uh, he will be on next week with us. I'm not going to go into the book anymore because, I mean, it's his it's his baby. I'll let him talk about it. So, uh, thanks yeah, for listening. Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, we are. September, um, September 22nd, calendars. Next yeah, week. mark your calendar. You know, save the date. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so that'll be next next Thursday evening. Okay. As I was saying before... My engineer brought me in this great cabinet. Headline, why wine country is no longer for regular people. Uh, This is by uh, Tampa. Tampa, The San Francisco Bay Area residents are saying, it says it's because it is being priced out of the market, becoming, let's see, where's my cursor? There it is. I moved the cursor around so I can have the wine and I couldn't find it. It says it's being priced out of the market. Prices are astronomical for the tasting fees. And they're saying it's a ripoff. And there's some sentiments shared by most of the Bay Area residents after the San Francisco Chronicle reported last week that it's been an unusually slow summer in wine country. And would-be wine country travelers took to social media and emails and started to comment to the Chronicle about their frustration and hesitation to head up to Napa or Sonoma because it's gotten ridiculous. And it really is. I mean, last time I was there was, oh, geez, 10 years ago now? No, less than that. Eight years ago. Last time I was there was eight years ago, and it was outrageous then, I can imagine now. Um, They said that many of them reminisce about the good old days when tastings were free or $20, but it's not that way anymore. Amador County and Livermore really are the areas to go because it's closer to San Francisco. Uh, Livermore is just right over the hill from San Francisco, and they've got a lot of wineries over there. Here, someone wrote this, said Napa was a ghost town. Uh, Why wine country is having an unusually quiet summer? The cost of gas, airfare, and lodging are all on the rise. And wine tasting fees have gotten more expensive in Napa and Sonoma counties. Which is true. It is really uh, the rising cost um, has gotten out of hand up there. People are saying, I remember, I remember going up there and there would be some $50 tastings, but those were high in places. 
Now, everything seems to be a minimum of $40. And you don't get to taste everything, too. Uh, also, a lot of the wineries used to waive the tasting fee or give you a discount if you do a purchase. That's starting to take a backseat a little bit there, too. So, uh, people are looking for alternatives and for the ride to an expensive cost or Sonoma from San Francisco. Some people are traveling over the Bay Bridge through Oakland and over to Livermore, which is a lot closer and uh, a lot cheaper. And there's lots and lots of wineries in the Livermore area. I, I was Last time I was looking at that, I was amazed at how many wineries are in Livermore. Uh, Concanton and Winty were the first two there. When I lived there. Now there's like, oh my gosh, I don't know, you know, 40 or 50 of them in the area. Uh, and it's not going to cost you as much uh, uh, tasting. I'm sure they charge, but it's not going to cost you as much of a tasting as they do up in Napa or, or Sonoma. Uh, also, a trip down to Paso Ropos uh, and the wineries down there, there are, I, I don't know, close to 60 in that area. And those small boutique wineries in the area of Paso Ropos and Monterey and San Jose and all that, just south of San Francisco. And these areas are starting to advertise the fact that they are the cheap alternative with the quality wines of Napa and Sonoma. And they're starting to draw some people away from Napa and Sonoma because of it. So I used to always recommend alternatives whenever people would come into the winery and say they were going out to California. And I would say, everybody needs to go to Napa once. You, you have to experience driving through Napa once. Not that you have to experience tasting the wines there, but you have to experience driving through Napa and seeing what it's all about, and then go down to Livermore or Paso Robles or Monterey or something like that and taste wines there because they are going to be quality and cheaper and cheaper tastings. So and that was uh, it's always been my recommendation. Like I say, you, you really have to go to uh, Disney World once or Disneyland at least once in your life. But once you went once, then that is usually sufficient. And same thing with Napa. Once you go once, then that's usually sufficient. And you don't have to go again. So, uh, price. And I'll tell you what, they're getting a lot of uh, repercussions because of it. And, you know, most wineries are doing buy appointment tastings because it seems to work well and they got labor shortages and stuff but it's still expensive so, but you know if you get a chance if you're in California visit Napa uh, if you're looking at some place to go it's always a, a good trip uh, to Napa but check out the others too okay let me go to my next one I want to talk to you about uh, no, this, you can tell it's still, we're still in the middle of elections because I got a pop-up here. Take this survey. I don't want to take a survey. If I want to take a survey, I'd 
jump on it and take it. Uh, a new historic Napa resort has just been bought. Uh, the rotunda building on the Napa Soda Springs Resort land. And uh, it's been around for a long time. Soda Springs is a famous property that's home to one to a one-time resort back in 1856. And it is just recently bought for $25 million that is going to possibly make another winery there. 856 acres. Uh, it's $25 million is cheap, cheap, cheap. Uh, it's less than the $50 million that the uh, market was expecting that people were expecting and so it was you know half the price uh, it's located on Silverado Trail which is north of the city of Napa in uh, in a great location so we are uh, I was looking for something here what happened uh, so uh, we may be seeing a new New winery and a new fancy place pop up there. That's just what Napa needs, another expensive winery in in, in the valley there. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, let's see. Is this what I wanted to hear? Mm, no. Okay, let me go to the, another one here. Uh, okay, that's one where I told you Freda died. Okay. Getting into the season. Fires on the West Coast. Uh, it's always, always a problem. Six years ago, it seemed like the whole West Coast had a one-time, once-in-a-lifetime fire catastrophe. But now... It seems to be every year that they're coming up with this is what they call uh, uh, the orange skies from wildfires. Washington State has 16 active wildfires on Monday, and this is only Thursday. Okay, 16 active wildfires. Oregon, 19 active wildfires. The Willamette National Forest was closed to visitors and homes had to be evacuated in Lane County, which is at the southern end of Willamette Valley. Uh, and because of the wildfires, California ash from the huge mosquito fire is drifting as far as the east coast, and that's the east coast of the United States, not uh, <laughs> not the end of California. Um, ash is drifting across there. Uh, coastal regions of the state, Sonoma, Mendocino, Napa, Santa Cruz, Paso Robles, Santa Barbara, all appear so far to be untroubled by the smoke. But El Dorado County is the closest, and uh, the fire is just north of them. And so far, it's not worrying the wineries, but, you know, uh, Last year's devastating Calder fire did a lot of damage there, and it also burned up a lot of the 
ground fuel that caused it to go crazy. So if anything, they might avoid the running of the far right atom, but uh, probability of 21st of moderate smoke, but nothing like last year. Uh, they said that last year was like an apocalypse. Uh, this is so so unusual, so much. Uh, the Washington wine country smoke fires was thick enough that the National Weather Service in Spokane tweeted that blocking the rays of the sun, the smoke had actually brought down temperatures by 5 to 10 degrees. Yeah, but then you get cough, 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 cough all the time. You know, you put up with the heat or you put up with your lungs getting stung by the smoke. Uh, smoke taint research is still in the early days, so we don't know what's going to happen to the wine grapes. And it is affecting Washington and quite a bit of Oregon. Uh, so these are things we're in, in the season where it's doing it, and they're not getting the rains. I mean, it's been dry all summer, and the ground is dried out. The only, only good thing I can see is the fires that they've been having have burned away a lot of the fuel, a lot of the short brush and all that. But it's affecting other areas that haven't been uh, burned up yet. Uh, the uh, Cedar Creek fire in Oregon started in August, and it's still burning and now covers 136 square miles. So it's a serious thing. These these wildfires out west, you know, and I can editorialize a little bit here if I may. They used to set fires used to set fires back when i lived in california you would get smoke every once in a while and they would broadcast on the local news that there has been controlled burning set for a certain area you know stuff like that and the controlled burns were controlled uh they didn't get out of hand and they would burn a lot of the underbrush and they've proven that Fires actually are good for areas, for forests and stuff. I mean, it, there's things that need the fire. There's certain seeds that need the fire to uh, germinate and stuff like that. And so they used to do fires. Then they stopped it. They stopped doing the back burning, and they stopped doing the underbrush burning. I, and, and it's because of money. That's what I've read. That's what I understand. It's because of money, not having enough money to pay for and control that stuff. And so they stopped it. Now, because it's been growing for 20, 30 years, and some of these areas have not been controlled by back burning, it is beautiful fuel for these fires and they can't get rid of it fast enough. They still don't have enough people. They still don't have enough money because they're spending so much money on fighting the fires that are out there now. So they really need to get into that. If they can ever get themselves a season or two where they don't have these enormous fires, I'm sure they will go back to trying to control them before they become uncontrollable. So, you know, I just, like I say, I just had to make comments there on that. Most wine production is going to be lost within the next 50 years. 
Now, this is something that has been come out with from the World Economic Forum. They're saying that the climate change and extreme weather events are creating inhospitable environments for many foods, including wine grapes, that may become extinct in 50 years. Extinct. That is quite a quite a big point then. Oh, time for a sip of wine. Thank you. Yeah, oh, that's good. I'm really impressed with this wine. Fitable environments for foods, including wine grapes, could make them extinct in a few decades. Foods like chocolate, coffee beans, avocados, berries, stone fruits like plums, cherries, peaches, apricots, along with bananas, corn, chickpeas, peanuts, and grains may all disappear in a few decades due to climate change. This is the prediction. I'm not going to editorialize. They're showing that our wine-growing regions as we know them now are moving north. Chile will be able to continue making wine because they will be able to move their grapes onto a higher elevation. Australia has a good chance of losing a lot of their wine-growing regions because it's going to get too hot. Same thing with South Africa, unless they move those to a higher elevation. Napa Valley is going to really be hurting. Same thing as Mexico. Mexico has a lot of wines, and if they move them in higher elevations, so it will save them. Napa Valley, California, is going to get hot, but they're looking at Oregon and Washington and higher elevations and cooler temperatures could continue to grow. I've I've heard heard something. Oh, it had to be ten years ago now that uh, Willamette Valley is going to be the next Napa Valley simply because Napa is going to get too hot to grow the grapes that they're growing now, and Willamette's going to be just the right temperature to take over for Napa. I also heard that areas like Montana and the Dakotas um, may be prime for growing grapes, too. All through the, the central west, called the Midwest, like they call uh, Ohio and Illinois, Indiana, Virginia, Kentucky, all those areas are going to start getting too hot, but you can still grow grapes in upper New York and southern Canada in that area there. And the same thing with Europe. Uh, your Spain, Portugal, Italy, all those areas are going to get too hot, and you're looking at places moving north and northern Europe can pick up the slack. They're saying that areas... Uh, Higher elevations and latitudes will will preserve the industry. British, Scandinavian, and Canadian wine regions are going to become more and more popular because they're going to be cooler and they will be able to withstand the heat. We had something come in? Mm, No, that's my system notification telling me I need to restart my computer for a Windows update. (laughs) 
okay. Well, then you better get Hopefully, on. I won that argument. Yeah, <laughs> stupid. I, I, turned off, I turned off the sound and. Yeah, I still had the ping in my before. ear. Yeah. I don't know if it went out over the over there or not, but I heard it's the ping. Yeah, if you heard it, it, I did. They did. Did you? Yeah. It said that uh, uh, places like England, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Siberia, and Nova Scotia are, already have dozens of new wineries and vineyards, and it could be even more as uh, time goes on uh, because of the uh, warming trend that is pushing these grapevines further and further north. So we'll see. High heat destroys wine grapes. We know that. It's it's already been uh, proven. Uh, according to Climate Central, average growing season temperatures have increased by about 2 degrees Fahrenheit since 1970. And, uh, you know, wine grapes can't stand, withstand up to 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit change, and they're already over halfway there. Uh, it can destroy. Dr. Greg Jones, who is uh, who is a past guest on the show, uh, climate expert and wine expert, states that some grape varieties, Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris and Pinot Blanc, cannot withstand the difference in the temperatures. You won't be able to grow those. You're going to have to move them to a cooler climate. So, hybrids moving to higher climates and changing the areas that we grow grapes is in our future. Uh, it's not going to be when I'm around. Uh, I'm not going to last another 50 years unless they come up with new longevity pills, but my grandkids will, and they're going to see a different wine region and different wine climate in the world, not weather climate, but growing areas and stuff. So that's something they have to look forward to. Uh, let's see one reason Let me see what I got next. Oh, WSCC, what's that? The uh, Wine and Spirit Education Trust. That's what it stands for, by the way. WSCT. Uh, we, uh, I've always said WSET in my head. I don't know if that's the proper pronunciation of it or if you should just say out the letters, WSCT. We've got a guest coming up in a, week, or a couple of weeks who has her certification in this. I'll ask her what is the proper way to say that. But it's the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. It is going to hold its first virtual open house event. Now, this is cool here. I mean, if you really really want to learn something, really want to see what this is all about, and really want to learn something. This is cool. This is going to be the 19th and 20th of October, 2022, this year. And let me see. That's, the dates on that is uh, uh, October 19th and 20th. So, yeah, Wednesday and Thursday, 19th and 20th of October. Uh, they are going to have an open house as part of an ongoing drive to raise awareness of its qualifications within the global drinks trade. This is going to be free to attend, and the online event will showcase Wisset's portfolio of globally recognized wine, spirit, and sake 
qualifications. The event has been designed to appeal to anyone interested in learning about WISET education, as well as existing WISET students considering taking another qualification. The event will also offer businesses the opportunity to learn how WISET training can add value to their teams. All right, so pretty cool thing here. This is a two-day program is packed with informative and inspirational content covering all aspects of WISET's education and includes live sessions delivered by WISET education team. Sessions will look at the content, outcomes, and benefits for students taking qualifications from level one beginner to level four expert. Students will also share their study experiences and talk about their journey. The first day will focus on wine qualifications and the second day will cover spirits and sake qualifications. So you can listen to it on the 19th and then call in and we can talk about it on the 20th on the pro oh, we have a guest on the 20th no that's October we don't have a guest so you can call in and we can talk about it on the 20th the program will be accessible to students in every time zone and some live sessions will also be run in French and Spanish Louis says marketing director Carolyn Daguilar comments Quote, we are really excited to be holding our first ever virtual open house. Just like a college or university open day, this event will allow potential students to sample our wine, spirits, and sake qualifications before they commit to signing up with one of our course providers. They can explore which qualification and study option is right for them. <coughs> Excuse me. And how with that education can benefit them whether for their career or for personal enjoyment, end quote. It says that the open house is a virtual event designed to be accessible as possible for existing and potential students across the globe. Attendees need to register to join the event live with all sessions available to watch on demand on WISET's events platform for 30 days after the event closes. To find out more about WSET's open house, visit wsetglobal.com. And then you can register on that event, or actually they have a link right here. So there you go. You need to do that. If you're interested in expanding your knowledge, if you're interested in becoming certified, people who are working in the uh, food industry, restaurants, and stuff like that. This is a good chance to see if you want to get this and if you want to be qualified in this. Those of you who are uh, owners of restaurants and stuff like that, it's a good opportunity for you to uh, get your faculty, your your staff, uh, into it and let them understand what it is and maybe provide them a little bit of incentive to go into it. But it's a good good program. I'm, I'm going to sign up for it and listen to it myself, and uh, which is redundant. I hate what I just said. But I'm going to sign up for it and see what they have to say. I don't know what hours they have. It doesn't say when it is, so... 
it may be evening, it may be during the day or whatever, but whatever it is, it will be available in archives. So for 30 days, you can always do that also. And I'm sure you're going to have to sign up for archives too. So either way, get signed up for it and get in there and do it. It's a cool thing, I think. Okay. Uh, wine detectives are fighting against fakes. Now, we've talked about fake wines before. We've, we've talked about fake wines a lot and because it is something that is out there a lot. Uh, and it's something that uh, is always... A, a point that people don't really think too much about and then somebody will get burned and it gets back up on the news again and they catch somebody and gets back up on the news again. This says, with prices from Napa Valley's most expensive wine producer, Screaming Eagle, soaring above $2,500 per bottle at auction for the flagship red and upwards of $5,500 for a rare Sauvignon Blanc, the winery's website is obliged to feature something besides the usual marketing come-ons about ideal sun exposure and toasted French oak. It's an interactive authentication code to type in and a phone number to call to be certain that your trophy bottle does in fact contain Screaming Eagle's wine. Hey, good idea. What it's doing is just saying, you know, be sure that this is what I'm paying for because those are the ones that they try to counterfeit. Uh, the world of fine wine may not strike most casual observers as a hotbed of fraud, but it has been for a long time. Uh, it's <laughs> uh, plenty the elder the first century Roman authority on pretty much everything, once stated, not even our nobility ever enjoys wines that are genuine. In other words, you know, way back in the Roman times, there was fakes out there. And it's uh, wine fraud today is estimated at $9 billion a year in a global problem costing thousands of industry jobs and depriving governments and billions in tax revenues. And it is uh, covering all areas, uh, Ponzi schemes, burglary, bank fraud, con jobs, smugglers, mysterious warehouse fires, and, of course, you're cutting edge counterfeiters. And it's <laughs> it thrives both as... a scaled up post activity and as a bottle by bottle retail pursuit. Uh, like in China, uh, according to one report, a full bottle of Bordeaux Chateau Lafitte Rothschild 1982 goes for $5,900. And an empty bottle goes for $1,500 because it can be refilled, not with Bordeaux Chateau Lafitte Rothschild 1982, but it can be refilled and sold again for not 5,500. Look, I'll give you a discount. I only charge you 5,000. All right, 5,900 is what it goes for. I only charge you 5,500 or even 5,000. 
you're making yourself a tiny profit there. So it's out there. It's out there all the time. And there are wine detectives based in the Bordeaux region who are on the cases all the time. They are constantly checking wines. They're constantly checking uh, how they have changed, what they're doing to them. And it's just the old cat and mouse game, they're saying. It's just, you know, you, uh, it's not only 1,000 bottle wines now, but they're seeing a lot of $40 bottles of uh, Brunello counterfeited. And uh, you, it, it just, it's something that people don't look at so much. If it's, uh, well, $5,900 for a bottle of wine, you're going to be very, very careful of how much you, you paid, what it is, and all that. But if the wine goes for $40, you're going, yeah, okay. And you open up one. It's not quite what you think it is. You say, oh, I've just got a bad bottle here. You don't report it. You don't do anything with it. And that's how they get by with it. You can make a few hundred dollar bills or a whole bunch of fives, and that's their idea. If you know, it's just cheaper and easier, and so therefore, uh, you know, and they're also doing dividing up. Uh, there's Kate, there's uh, found that eight or nine bottles were real and three or four were fake, so therefore, you turn a nice profit selling a 12 cases uh, 12 cases of wine into 16 cases uh, and getting the big bucks for them. So it's an ongoing thing, and there's detectives, uh, wine detectives out there checking this stuff all the time. And it's a constant, constant battle. You hear about the big ones, Kravokian, uh, Kravokian, uh, Kravokian, I don't know, I forgot how to pronounce his name, but... Um, uh, Kurniawan, I think, yeah, Kurniawan, and, and his great big scandal and all the stuff that he did, we hear about those and those people going to jail. But we don't hear about all the small ones and all the little ones all over and all the ones that are being caught all the time because of the constant fraud out there. What a, you know, you start doing that, and you can really make a fraud. Wanted to see an interesting book, uh, Dragon Vine, by uh, our guest we had on. Oh, I guess it's been a month now. Uh, his book, Dragon Vine, is about wine fraud and what can be done and all that. It's just a suspense thriller with wine popped into it, and it's just a fun book. But it also addresses how how wine fraud can take place. So uh, check out the book. Um, well, let's see here. One other thing before I end tonight, well, I've been talking about grapes the last couple of weeks and uh, the different types of grapes, revisiting ones that we, we've talked about many years ago. There's another one I just discovered here that we hadn't talked about was the Chilean Carmenere. I love the Carmenere. I, I really... I. It's one of my favorites. It's got a, a distinct peppery nose to it. It's got a real nice peppery taste. Uh, the ones that are made well, I've tasted some that are rather lacking on the pepperiness, but uh, the the ones that are made fairly well are doing it. I sold a Carmenere at the winery. Uh, I had a sister winery, uh, Venus and Esteban, in Chile. 
and we shipped them wines and they shipped us wines and we got in uh Sauvignon Blanc, Cabernet, Chardonnay, Merlot and Carmenere. And it, it was I fell in love with the Carmenere then. I never tasted the grape before that and this was great. They did a wonderful job of putting this thing together and and it was just wonderful. None left, I'm afraid. I we don't have any sitting in any coolers or anything, but it's all gone. But the Carmenere was great, and you can find them in stores all over now. They're they're available in the stores. But Carmenere is original grape from uh, uh, from the Bordeaux region. And well, here. Oh, wait a minute, I got a little bit of science there. Uh, Okay, Carmenere is very recently. Carmenere disappeared from his native Bordeaux following the phylloxera outbreak in the mid-1800s. It was considered practically extinct until a fateful visit to Chile from French empathologer uh, Jean-Michel Bourquet, I don't know, in November of 1994. Now, this is from the mid-1800s to 1994. They thought Carmenere was gone. As he walked through the vineyards in Mayapal, he noticed a small detail to some Merlot vines, a twisted stamen, to be precise. It revealed that these vines were, in fact, the long-disappeared variety of Carmenere. That vineyard wasn't unique. The variety had been unwittingly planted throughout Chile's wine regions for almost 150 years. Carmenere had arrived in Chile in the 1850s along with a shipload of other varieties from Bordeaux. It had been planted around the country as Merlot. With Bruschetti's discovery, Chile suddenly became the heartland of a variety which no one had knowingly vinified for more than 100 years. But the revolution was not a surprise for many Chile's winemakers. They used to call it Merlot Chileano uh, because everyone knew it was different compared to other Merlot vines. I mean, they can tell the difference. They can see the difference and all that. So they called it Merlot Chileano. And uh, they could tell that it was different. When they divided it up and started plant just Carmenere itself, they got a much darker color. and It changed to Merlot because they were calling it Merlot, and it was just a blend of Carmenere and Merlot, which was wonderful. But then when they got the Carmenere by itself, it really came out into its own. Although you can find a lot of Merlot Carmenere blends out of Chile, and they are wonderful also. they the Carmenere is a dark color. It adds a lot of good depth and color to it and a great uh, peppery nose, a little spicy nose. The Merlot adds the fruitiness to it. It's just a great combination. Uh, the wine minister of Chile, and as an aside, wouldn't that really be a wonderful job to have a wine minister of a country? You know, but... The wine minister of Chile, when they discovered the Carmenere back uh, back then, said, uh, back in 1994, said, well, Carmenere can either be a great discovery that really puts 
chili on the map for wines, or it can be just another pedestrian wine. And he went on to say, I think it will be the latter. Well, he was wrong. It is really came into its own. It really became quite a nice wine. Um, the grapes have been rescued in Chile and a uh, little trouble growing them on their own, but they proved to really show up. They found some areas that it's growing great. Uh, it has... Uh, they're thinking it can hold its own on climate change as it warms up in Chile, and it's going to be able to survive the temperatures for a while there anyway. It is a dark wine. It's got some great coloring to it and all that. So the Carmen Air is, uh, uh, is in... Uh, one that we haven't talked about the other day. It's something that, uh, last week, is something that is really uh, quite a great grape. I, I enjoy it. And it's made its new home in Chile and is starting to show itself quite well. So, there we go. I think, is that it for tonight? Those are all the notes I have here and everything. So, oh, Manginer sent me an email that said a bunch of sommiers together and named a bunch of inexpensive wines that were under, uh, where is this? Uh, okay, pop up here, come on. Uh It's uh, the seven best wines under $15, according to Sommiers. Uh, I'll uh, try to get this post. I try to pull it up so I can tell you tonight and put it on Facebook. But I will. I'll try to get this on the Facebook or All About Wine Facebook page, and uh, you can check out these wines. But these are seven best wines under $15 according to uh, Sommier. So, hmm. email and all that. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. there we go. Very cool. Um, all right. It is uh, 8.03-ish p.m. right now on Thursday. Uh, we're going to close the show down for this week, and we will return next week on September 22nd with uh, – a live guest, Cap Kaplowitz, uh, who uh, is now an author. Uh, yes, he, is. he was a, was a blog blogger author, but now a, an official like book, book author. So we're gonna we're gonna learn more about that. Uh, what he wrote uh, a cigar book, uh, and we'll talk to him next uh, Thursday, September twenty second, right here on All About Wine. So. Uh, with that, uh, y'all have a great weekend and a week ahead, and we will talk to you next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern time right here on Blog Talk Radio and all the social media channels that we're on right now. I forgot. Yeah. YouTube, <laughs> Facebook. It's fun, all that stuff. Yeah, we'll see you all next week. Thank you. Be safe. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you. 
this concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Jan. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com or anywhere. Slash yeah, all over the place. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. All About Wine. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Oh. End it. End. I bet you there's people out there that irritates the snot out of them when we do that. you know that? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Would they stop talking while they're gone? Gosh. Yeah, they stop uh, talking. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, you all right, green room. And, yeah. All right. Uh, yes. Yeah, off.